0: You know, I asked Dara to sing this song this morning, which is unusual because typically I never know what she's singing until I get here. And, uh, oh, thank you. And, uh, but she had asked this week, uh, She had, which, again, she never does. And uh, she had just, I don't know, however you want to say it, however you want. But uh, she had asked, you know, is there anything you want us to sing? And this song was just been in my heart. And, uh, you know, and I think that even in line with what I've been teaching over these last few weeks, you know, that it echoes. And, you know, even one of the lines there in the song, it says, Spirit, lead me where my faith is without borders. I mean, if you really think about just that line, well, what are those borders? That's those safe spaces where we say, God, I'm willing to go here, but I don't want to go any further. Like, I'm good here. And yet the Holy Spirit has this way. Pushing us in those spaces where we're not comfortable. Uh, This may be a, a, a new revelation for you, but God does not care about our comfort. As a matter of fact, I think he's only pleased when we're really uncomfortable. Because it's in those places where we're saying, God, oh my gosh, I need you to help me. Because I can't do this. You know, one of the things that when we were in Boston... That really stuck out to me, uh, the pastor. His name's Pastor Jay Del Turco, and he said early on in ministry, the Lord spoke to him and just gave him this thought. And he said, "To get used to being in over your head, because you will be for the rest of your life." You know, and I think that's true, and that should be true of all believers. Why? Because there should be that dependency on the Lord. Of, of God, put me in positions where i have to believe you like i I don't want to play it safe and i don't want to stay in the pretty neat little lines god likes the color outside of the lines and it's in those places where we really put our faith to the test if you will because look we all fight for comfort i fight for comfort i mean i don't mind taking a risk but they're calculated But there's something to be said about living a life on the edge. Now, not stupid and not ignorant and not unwise. But what sometimes what we call wise is really safe. I'll say that again. Sometimes what we're calling wise is really just us being safe. And God is saying, I want you to live in faith and to step outside of what even your rational, logical brain tells you this is okay. Because I have found that God doesn't really care for my comfort. As a matter of fact, most of the times when I get to a place of comfort, God says, okay, I need to change something. You know, I, I love eagles. I love the bird. I mean, you know, I, I just I always have and I've read about them and studied about them and I just, I'm fascinated. I think they're just the, the most beautiful bird. I, You know, I'm not a big bird guy, but the eagle, I don't know what it is. The Bible talks about them and I just love everything about it. But, you know, when a, when a mother eagle has, I don't know what you call them, but a bunch of babies in the nest, she doesn't just grab them and throw them out of the nest. Why? Because if she did, they would just plummet to their death. But what she does do, you know, I was actually saw some on TV yesterday. It was actually here in Arkansas, you know, they had some rice fields and these bald eagles had actually started making their home there well they showed the nest of an eagle it's massive i didn't realize how big their nest is It's huge of course it's a really big bird but what the mother does when it's time for her eaglets to hop upon the ledge of that nest she doesn't start kicking them out why because that would be setting them up for failure But what she does do is she begins to pick apart that nest that she has made for them. Therefore, they begin to be made to be uncomfortable. And sometimes God makes us uncomfortable because if he doesn't, we won't move. That's the place of frustration. And we're frustrated, wondering what's going on and not realizing that it's actually God trying to nudge us. Because what happens with the eaglet is the mother begins to pull all that comfort, all that used to be smooth and nice to lay in, all of a sudden it's kind of prickly. And it's stabbing. And, and, it, and it, what it does, though, is it creates those little eaglets begin to move around that nest. They begin to flap their wings. They begin to grow their strength. And when they're ready, now this is important, when they are ready, they walk to the edge and they jump. I don't remember the percentages, but it's over 90% of eaglets never touch the ground. They fly. Because they made the decision to get out of the nest. But what created the decision to leave was not comfort. It was discomfort. It was what has been familiar and what was known was warm and it was nice. And I got fed here and mama brings me dinner and... But mama started making things uncomfortable. Why? Because eagles aren't meant to sit in a nest. Eagles are meant to hunt and to fly. See, what happens is that many times we will stay in a place of comfort not realizing that our comfort is costing us what God has for us. Because you aren't just created to just live life and die. God has purpose. God has plan. He's meticulous in His thoughts. You know, and over the last few weeks, I've been sharing with you about faith and what does living by faith look like. It is risky. And there are times that you're going to think, oh my gosh, what am I doing? I mean, I remember this very well. And I've shared this probably not a whole lot but a few times i remember i've talked about us leaving kansas how difficult it was for me why because it was the most comfortable best situation that i had ever been in and i remember that i called my dad when i was pulling out of my driveway we had a nice home and it was comfortable and you know all these things were good and the best job i'd ever had I was making the most money i'd ever had and i knew god had told me to leave for something that he was going to talk to me about God, can't we talk about it now? But that's not what the Lord had told me. He'd give me that verse and says, you know, that it says that Abraham departed for a land that God would show him. That's a scary place to be. I'm going somewhere. I just don't know where. And I remember pulling out of my driveway and I called my dad. And I'm talking, I don't mean like a pretty cry. I mean like I'm just crying. And I was like, God, I don't, I told him, I said, dad, I said, I don't know what God's got up his sleeve, but it better be good. It better be good. Because why would I leave this situation? Well, I didn't know what God had in mind. I mean, I had some idea, but I didn't know. But I had to leave that place of comfort. And to be quite transparent, I would been frustrated for years. And I just thought the frustration was something in me, but it, I didn't recognize that it was God actually creating that frustration. Because without that frustration, I would have never had the guts to leave. And so living by faith is not always just, I know that this is the will of God and this is what God spoke. There's a lot more uncertainty than we realize. I shared that thought with you a few weeks ago is that it's being okay with the mystery, being comfortable in the, unknown sometimes you know i was thinking as we were singing that song it's obviously most of you know this or can at least figure this out that this song was written out of where peter stepped out of the boat and began to walk and the bible says that as he walked to jesus the wind and the waves got his attention they distracted him as long as his focus was on jesus he walked on top of the circumstances here's a thought that I had as we were singing this song. You know, Jesus was standing on the same wind and the same waves. And we always look at it from Peter's perspective. But what enabled Jesus to stand on that water not only for himself but to even go deliver Peter from drowning? There's a couple things and the easy answer is like, well, he's Jesus. He's the Son of God, of course. He's God. He can do anything. But Jesus didn't function on the earth as a man, as a as God, he functioned on earth as a man. So yes, he had faith. And I've never successfully walked on water. I've tried it a few times and took a dip in the pool. You know, I, I'm sure I'm not the only one in the room who thought, let's try this out. But you know the reason that Jesus could walk on that water and not give in to fear as we see that Peter did was because he really understood how much God loves him. The antidote to fear is always love. The Bible says that perfect love casts out all fear. So if you're going to live a life of faith, it's really not as a start in the area of faith. You've got to understand how much God loves you. Why? Because when you understand how much God loves you, you realize, God, you're not setting me up to fail. I'm going to take this step, whatever it may be, And it may just be not even seemingly a big thing, but for you, it's a big thing. I mean, it could be a job transition. Maybe it's asking somebody to marry you. Maybe it's, you know, believing God for your kids to really see a breakthrough. Whatever it may be, maybe it's stepping out and starting a business. And that thought just freaks you out. If God's telling you to do it, now, there's timing. You've got to ask the Lord, okay, that's what you want me to do, when? You know, I've shared a lot about our time in Kansas leaving. and You know, I've prayed for over three years about the timing. Me and Dara had lots of conversations about it. We knew that the Lord was starting. I went and talked to my pastor in January every year, three years in a row. It's like a change is coming. I don't know what. Do you sense anything? that? No, not anything all right keep praying I didn't get discouraged at one point I kind of did but at first I did and I just kept praying Lord when's the right time when's the right time and when's the right time and I could take you to the moment I remember the day of the week when the Lord spoke it was very clear and that's when he gave me that verse depart from the land that I will show you and I knew it I came home and I told Derek I said I'm going to talk to the pastor this week I knew it in my heart. It's time. What had been a question and a mystery, I didn't have four steps down the road. I just had my next step. Well, I had to take those next steps, and they were challenging. But at the same time, if I would have never taken that step, I would have never made it here. Like, oh, well, God can do anything. He could have got you here. Well, of course, He could have. But, you know, there was a pit stop that I needed to make before I got here. There were things that I needed to learn before I got here into this place. Because we could have had a rocky last couple of years if I hadn't learned certain things. Because it would have been a lot of trial by error. A lot more error, probably. But yet the Lord had a season for me to go up and to be with another man, actually. And I got to learn and watch a lot. He didn't realize that. I was watching every move. I was watching every word. And it was the guy that I directly worked with. I helped administrate our church in Shreveport. And so more from a pastoral side, but I mean, I was close with Pastor Sam and his name was Pastor John. They're actually two of my pastoral council guys. And I learned a lot that helped me get prepared for this moment. But if I hadn't taken that big step to leave comfort... I don't know that i would be here today well god doesn't just call me because i'm a pastor to take steps of faith he calls all of us to take steps of faith and they can be scary but i don't want to stay in the comfort of the boat and say okay god just watch you work so i just want to encourage you this morning remove the boundaries off of what you say okay god i'm comfortable with this Man, we were just singing, you know, worship is a form of prayer. So whether you realize it or not, you just prayed a prayer saying, God, take me to a place that I'm not comfortable with. Open up opportunities. Open up my eyes to see what all you would have me to do. And as you would do that, I I, I promise you, God will be with you. You're going to see God's hand with you. And what happens is you end up in a place going... I know I didn't get here by myself. There's no way that I could have brought all this together and done all these things. And that you know, I'm, not small, I'm not this smart. I'm not this good. That, and why is that? Because it's where we bring glory to God. Because who else is deserving? It's just Him. So I want to share some things with you in the next few minutes. You know, my wife, uh, a couple weeks ago, I was sharing. I was preaching along this line. And so every week I asked Dara to grade me. Because she's my wife and she'll be brutally honest. She tells me all the time I preach too long. So, you know, and, uh, so, and those are all good things, you know. I mean, why? Because I know she'll be truthful with me. Like every Sunday afternoon we have this conversation. Because I want to know. No one's heard me preach more than her. So who better to tell me things? And she made a comment uh, a couple weeks ago and, uh, you know, normally she doesn't say things. You know, she, we have a scale on which works for me. And so I'll just tell you, I mentioned it. I used to play baseball, so she used to be like, oh, it was good. and I'm like, that tells me nothing. So we, I was like, I need it in like terms. So I'm a baseball guy. I was like, it's a single, a double, a triple, or a home run. And then occasionally, there's the Grand Slam. Those are rare. And, uh, you know, But they sure are fun when they come. And uh, so that's my grading scale. And, uh, but a couple weeks ago, we were talking two weeks ago, I believe, and uh, I had made a statement during my sermon, during my message, and she said, you should have stayed on that. Which she normally doesn't. She said, because when you made the statement, she said, you said it, and then you moved on real quick. And she said, but when you said it, she said it was like the room kind of perked up. You know, and the statement was, is that I had just, and I quickly said this, so this morning I'm going to elaborate a little more. Um, You know, and it was this, is that I, I told you that there have been some things that have been stirring in my heart concerning you. And really, for a while now, that I had been praying about. And it comes up, and there's a thread of it in lots of messages, but I've never really uh, just sat and really kind of communicated it to you. And and it ties in very much with what I've been sharing with you. But it's, you know, there's a side of of church and of ministry, if you will, that you can come to church and you can get inspired on a Sunday morning. And I want that, and and I pray that that's true for you. That your faith would be stirred up. But if you're not careful, what it will become is nothing more than just a momentary high. That I come to church on Sunday, man, I get fired up and then I wake up Monday morning and that fire has gone elsewhere. You know, and the thing is, and really what I want to share with you this morning is this, is that I really have had a burden in my heart. And this may not apply to everybody, but I believe it applies to a lot. And it's this is that there is a limitation in your mind to how God wants to use you. Number one, how God wants to bless you. You know, prosperity is not just a dollar figure. Now, I know that's where our mind goes. You can have all the money you could ever dream of and be absolutely miserable. That is not godly prosperity. I mean, Paul said this, look, I've learned how to be rich and I've learned how to be poor. But I have learned in whatever state that I find myself, I'm going to be all right. So prosperity is not so much about the momentary figures that you may have in your checking account, banking, how much cash you got in your pocket, how much stuff that you own. Prosperity is also peace of mind, peace of heart, stability. But what happens is that there are enemies that war against these things in our life. And the enemy, when I'm talking about the enemy, I'm talking about Satan and the kingdom of darkness that the Bible says are at war against us. You know, I was listening to something this week uh, with Bishop T.D. Jakes, and he made a statement uh, that just really kind of really stuck with me. And and I've thought about it quite a bit. And he said this, he he was, was actually, he was being interviewed and I was watching it. And he made this statement. He says, you know, the enemy can't stop you as a believer. But he will try to contain you to the best of his ability. Why? Because if he can contain you, he doesn't have to worry about the effects of what God promised you. Well, how does the enemy contain us? There's lots of ways. I mean, whether it's through, uh, you know, fear, number one, through insecurities, number two. There are different avenues even limitations that we perceive to be limitations. I mean, I've had the opportunity to be around some people who have some money. Like, I mean, like real money. And this is what I have found. And, and, and our mind says, well, of course, they don't really look at money the same way they have money. They think differently. Money is not an obstacle to people that really have money. Why? Because they say, well, I don't have the money for it, but the money will come. On the surface, you're just like, well, of course. It's easy for you to say, look at your house, look at your stuff, look at all. They have a different mentality. You know, and, and if we're not careful as believers, we will allow the enemy to come in and to contain us beyond what God ever intended and what God ever wanted in our life. Now, God wants to bless you, even in the area of your finances. I make no apologies about that. Prosperity is not just your dollars. But God does want to bless you. The Bible says God delights in the prosperity of his servants. God takes pleasure when we prosper. And so even in the idea of living by faith, it always starts where you are, but it never leaves you there. Faith is progressive and it is one step after another after another and so, I want to make a statement and then I'm going to give you the scriptures. And I've been, you know, some of these things you'll have heard before, but I really want to, because what I, let me just say this up front. What I'm challenging this morning is your belief about yourself. Yeah. That's specifically what I'm targeting. So, if you wonder what I'm saying, that's what I'm saying. I want you to rethink how you think about yourself in light of who God is and what God wants to do in your life. Why? Because that limitation will keep you and contain you from what God has for you. So let me make this statement where I'm going to show you this scripturally where I get this from. And I've talked about this uh, in previous weeks, but I'm going to say it a little bit different way. Is that you can't possess what you cannot see in your heart. You cannot possess what you cannot see. Let me say it another way. You cannot have what you cannot see. Now we're talking about the eye of faith. Faith believes in what it cannot see. You know, we've been reading Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1. One translation says that faith perceives as real fact, as absolute fact, what has not been revealed to the five senses. Faith perceives. You could say it this way, is that faith sees. Because you may see yourself and look at yourself through a lens of failure. You can't tell me at any level that that doesn't affect every decision you make. Because in the back of your mind, all you can think of is, I'm a failure, I'm a failure. And it doesn't matter how much success you have in life. In your heart of hearts, when it's just you and Jesus, that's the filter that everything runs through. I'm a failure, but you don't know my past. No, but I do know the Redeemer who restores the past. Amen. Your past doesn't have to limit you unless you allow it. It has as much power as you give it. I have a past, but I have chosen that that past will not determine who I am today. I will not give power to past. Why? Because God has restored, God has redeemed, and I'm moving forward. Sometimes, and to begin with, that's absolute faith. I have to walk that out. And this is not mind games. This isn't psychology. This is actual biblical truth. So you can't possess what you cannot see. Now, let me show you where I get this from. In Numbers chapter 13, starting in verse 26. Now, this has to do with the spies. They went out. To uh, scout out the promised land. God had promised the children. of Israel says look I've got a promised land for you. It flows with milk and honey. Which was in our day would be cash money. I mean that was kind of like. The deal. I mean you know. Why? Because they bartered. And milk and honey were hard to come by. And yet this place just flowed with it. So you could go and trade and buy and sell. And so it was currency. Even when God said it. It says here in verse 25 of Numbers 13, it says, After exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned. There were 12 spies who Moses had sent to go check out. Why? Because he needed somebody to go put eyes on what God had promised. And the truth is, if we're wise, we're going to see it before we go. Who picks a fight without knowing the bully? Wow. Right? And yet, God knew the promised land. the problem was, there were some obstacles to that promised land. It says, after exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned to Moses, Aaron, and the whole community of Israel at Kadesh in the wilderness of Paran. It says, they reported to the whole community what they had seen and had shown them the fruit that they had taken from the land. It says, this was their report to Moses We entered the land that you sent us to explore, and it is indeed a beautiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. It has all, or here is the fruit that it produces, but the people, but. So they had a promise. God says, look, I have a place for you to go. It's everything God said it was, but. But the people there are powerful. And their towns are large and fortified. We even saw uh, giants there and the descendants of Anak. The Amalekites live in the Negev and the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and along the Jordan Valley. Here's another but. So that was their, hey, it's everything that God said, but there's some opposition. Verse 30, but Caleb tried to to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Now, this is one interesting thing you need to know about Caleb and Joshua. The Bible says they were of a different spirit than the other ten spies. They were of a different spirit. They didn't have the same spirit. Let me say this. They didn't have the same limitations of the other ten. What they had was faith to believe that he was faithful who had promised. And it didn't matter the obstacle. God had still promised. And so whatever God had to do, God would do to get them to where he had promised. So Caleb speaks up. And he says, let us go at once to take the land. And we will certainly conquer it. That sounds a whole lot like faith. Give me a bully to go punch in the nose because let's go. Verse 31, but the other men, the other ten who had explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go against them. They are stronger than we are. See, they were looking at themselves and their self-sufficiency to say, can we do what God has told us to do? Here's the problem. If God tells you to do it, he's the one who's got to do it through you. You can never do it on your own to begin with. And they said, look, we can't. We have no ability. We're not powerful enough to do this. They go on, and so it says that they spread a bad report. Other places say it was an evil report. Other translations say it It was an evil report about the land among the Israelites. It says the land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. Now, here's just a thought. How long were these guys there? Forty days. Did they make it back home? Yes. And yet what he says is, look, the land will devour anybody who lives there. You made it out, didn't you? I mean, it's just logical. None of you died. Like, well, we made it back, but we lost two. No, 12 went and 12 came back. So even their statement is actually not factual. But they spread this evil report. I love this last part. It says, and all the people we saw were huge. Which, if you go and read their report, they said, well, the sons of Anak, which is... Where we get Goliath comes out of that same lineage. But he lists a whole bunch of people that weren't giants. But now he says all the people are huge. The land will eat you alive. And if the land don't get you, the giants will. So you can already tell they're, they're in two lies right there. It says even when we saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. And this is an important principle. It says, next to them, we felt like grasshoppers. And that's what they thought too. Other translations say it this way. Is that we felt like, or that we were like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And so we were in their eyes. You can call it the grasshopper complex. See, the enemy doesn't have to worry about you as long as you think he's more powerful than you. And it's not about me being somebody or you being somebody. It has to do with who's on the inside of us. Peter wrote and says, greater is he on the inside of me than he that's in the world. Well, the problem is, is that many times as believers, we live in a place where we don't acknowledge that almighty God lives on the inside of us. And we look at ourselves to try to produce what we can see as God's promises But the problem is is that you see yourself as weak and as feeble and as unable. Therefore, you are. Proverbs 23, 7 says, As a man thinks in his heart, as a man sees himself, so is he. Let me put this in real terms. If you see yourself struggling financially the rest of your life, you will. You have to get a picture in your heart Of what God's blessing will look like in your life. Before you can ever have faith to believe for it. Now we've talked about this over the last few weeks. I've just used different words. I say you have to have a picture. That's hope. Then you enact your faith based off of what you can see. I was a pastor long before I had a title. I mean decades. And I'm not even that old. Praise the Lord. I mean, when I was a heathen, people would ask me, what are you going to do? I'm like, I'll be a preacher. And I knew in my heart that I was called to pastor as a heathen. I didn't want nothing more to do with it. It didn't matter. Even as a heathen, I could see myself preaching. I would dream about it. I'm like, God, leave me alone. And here's the thing that, that, that really matters is that it never was about me standing in a pulpit and preaching. I knew that I would be responsible for those who I was supposed to preach for if I never did. And that scared me. Because yeah. I knew I'd stand before the Lord. He was going to ask me, what did you do with what I called you to do? Oh, well, Lord, I went into business. That's what my whole family thought. My dad was a businessman. They thought I'd be a businessman. That was the plan. But I always knew in my heart that that wasn't the plan. But I had a picture in my heart of what God had for me. See, you have to have that picture of what God wants for you. That may be in the area of healing. What's it going to look like when you're better? What's it going to look like when you've got your strength? What's it going to look like when you no longer have those aches and those pains? What will you do? You've got to have a picture in your heart. Some of you believe because of maybe it's your uh, aptitude, your schooling, your background, your past, your mistakes. That the degree of blessing in your life is now capped. Well, you're the one who's capping that. See, I'm challenging the way that you see yourself. Why? Because we have to move beyond how we see ourselves and begin to ask the Lord, Lord, let me see myself the way that you see me. I need a complete renovation of my thoughts about what I perceive me to be. Because all I perceive is my limitations. I perceive all the reasons why I can't. God doesn't care about your can. God does care about your can do. I can do all things through Christ. I can't pass this test. That's how I graduated some of college classes. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I have the mind of Christ, everything that I have studied is going to come back to my remembrance. I mean, hey, I went to public speaking. I don't, I've do not i lost count now. I don't know if it was three times or four times, and I failed. Praise God. And I started praying. Lord, you called me to preach. I can't talk for five minutes in front of people. How in the world am I ever going to be able to preach? Lord, if you called me, you're going to help me do this. I might have failed twice. I only had to pass once. Hello. I wasn't signing back up again, but. And some of you are freaked out. I'll say this. Look, I'm just look. This is just me talking this morning. I'm just meddling. okay? as your pastor, these are things that have been in my heart for you. Some of you, God has put in your heart to go back to school and it totally freaks you out. Totally freaks you out. Well, I can't pay for it. Have you applied yet? Have you even seen what it takes to enroll in college like oh man i'd have to you know i'd have to really rearrange some stuff yeah but is that going to get you to the future that you want just because a dream is delayed does not mean it's been denied i mean look and i've shared this and i know she doesn't mind me sharing. my sister my oldest sister you know she made some not wise choices earlier in life and so she was just working a job but she really had in her heart man we've i mean my sister was born to be a nurse she just was it's just no doubt well, she wasn't a nurse until I think she was thirty seven or thirty eight She went back to school in her mid thirties wasn't easy. she had two girls wasn't easy. My sister struggled with math. it's just she's just I got all the math genes in my family. Well, not really me and my other sister, but my oldest sister she always struggled with math, and she had a hurdle. Because she wanted to be a nurse, well, hey, you've got to be good at math. She always had struggled with math. During her going to school, she missed. she had to make a certain percentage. I don't remember what the percentage was. It was somewhere in the mid-70s on a test. She was one point below the percentage she had to have to pass. She had to wait a year to retake that class before she could get into clinicals. But you know what? She passed it the next year. And she's a nurse today, and I've never seen her more fulfilled. It just took her to her late 30s to get there. But she had to take a step of faith to say, I'm going to go back to school and I'm going to pursue my dream. And I can tell you, she would not be fulfilled the way she is today had she not taken that big old risk. See, and there are areas in your life where the Lord has just been nudging you, nudging you, nudging you. Maybe it's in school. Maybe it's in just your normal job, but He's been starting. You need to take this you need to, you know, whatever it is. Maybe it's a new certification. Maybe it's a management class. Maybe it's this. Maybe it's, and the Lord's nudging you, and you're thinking, I can't do that. I, I can't do that. Why is the Lord nudging you if you can't do it? He won't set you up to fail, but he is wanting to set you up for some success. See, in here, it, it's this principle, man. I felt weak and, and unimportant, and so I am. I felt unable not smart enough. Not sharp enough. I don't have the skill set. I mean, let me just help you out with this. The richest people in the world, most of them don't have a degree. Not saying they're not smart people. So a degree doesn't... And I'm not against education. I mean, Ms. Tamala is a nurse practitioner. Praise the Lord for some education. I don't want nobody looking at me that ain't got no education. <laughs> there are some things you need education for. But education alone... Doesn't necessarily. Especially today. Doesn't guarantee you a job. It used to. But it doesn't anymore. Uh, you know. I mean it just doesn't. That's just the reality. Of the day in which we live. But yet we can play it safe. And just be like. Oh I'm good. I'm alright with this. It's safe right here. But playing it safe. Is not where you're going to see God bless. Like I mean really bless your life. Because God always honors faith. You know, there's a gentleman uh, in the Old Testament. A few years ago, there was a book, and I've actually never read the book, but yet I recognize the name. And, you know, as I've been praying, uh, this passage of Scripture came up about this guy named Jabez. Now, Jabez is interesting. He has an interesting little story. There's not a whole lot said about him, but I want to read you a couple verses about him. It says in First. Uh, Chronicles chapter four verse nine. It says there was a man named Jabez who was more honorable than any of his brothers. This is what we know about Jabez. He was more honorable. That's all. We, well, what does that mean? It could mean a lot of things, but he was a good guy. We'll say it like that. He was he was honorable, and his mother had named him Jabez because his birth had been so painful. He was the one. All right. So basically, his his name Jabez. It actually means um, distress or pain. So let me say it this way. He was labeled from birth. You're a pain in my side. <laughs> That's what Jabez knew. His mama called him painful and misery. Now, we don't put so much weight on names, but back then it, it mattered. Big time. Yeah. Well, he had this label. You're one who creates misery. You're one who creates pain. And yet the Bible says that he was more honorable says that he was the one who prayed to the God of Israel and said, oh, that you would bless me and expand my territory. says, please be with me in all that I do and keep me from all trouble and pain. Now, we can just read over those verses, but when you realize that's what he identified with, he's actually asking God to change his mentality. Lord, change the way that I see myself because I see myself as wherever I go, pain and trouble go. I'm bad news for anybody I come in contact with. And yet he asked the Lord, and he says, Would you bless me and expand my abilities and be with me in all that I do? I said, And God granted him his request. God, help me see myself differently. I may have had a label, but I need to see myself differently than what I have. Now, let me just give you some practical things here. Now, I mean, if you were to, uh, you know, as I was saying earlier, you know, I don't want to just always be inspirational. I also want to give you practicals. Things like, hey, if you have it in your heart to go to school, you need to go apply. That's your first step. Why do you need the money if you don't even know if they're going to accept you? God, I feel like you am supposed to go to school. Where? Where's in your heart? What are you going to do? I don't know. The Lord just, he'll he will show me when I get there. If the Lord told you, he'll tell you when he gets there. He'll tell you when he gets there. If he didn't tell you that, he can tell you now. What direction? Give me a, a specific thing. Okay, well, I don't have the money. Can I get federal aid? Whatever. I mean, you can, you know, there's, there's lots of steps before you show up to school at day one. Well, do those steps. But there's the practicals as well, especially in the area of God's blessing. Number one, never let, never ask God to increase you if you're not being faithful where you're at. Now, let me put this in real practical terms. You ought to be the best employee that your employer has ever had. You know, I was watching this clip, uh, this other video thing, and it was a guy. He was talking about things that he learned from a third grade dropout. I don't know if you, some of you may have seen this video. What a phenomenal video, by the way. I really was like, I need to figure out a way to work that into a sermon. You know, because it's just amazing. And it's this guy who has four degrees, but his dad was a third grade dropout. And one of the little things that he, one of the lessons that he said he learned from his dad, is he said it's better to be an hour early than a minute late. If you want to be a good employee, be on time. See, I'm in a very unique situation in my life. Because I'm in many facets. I wear a lot of different hats right now, which is kind of interesting. Number one, I'm the pastor of this church. Technically, Lita works for me. I also work for somebody else, so I have a boss. So on one hand, I am a boss. I'm an employee. And I have things I do on the side where I am my own boss. So I have a very interesting showing up matters to me. Y'all remember when Micah was here? My, we had an intern live with us for like nine months. I, I, I was, we were renovating a house, and I'm a—I can be OCD, like I want stuff clean. I don't want crap everywhere. Just, yeah. well, I was pointing out some things, I, and I told him this. I said, "Micah, I want you to think like an owner, not as a worker." And I said, "You see all them screws laying around on the ground? I said you would sweep them up and go throw them in the trash." I said, I'd go pick them up and put them back in the box. Why? Because that's my money. Those aren't screws, that's money on the ground. That's the difference between an owner and an employee. If you think like an owner, you'll be an owner. If you think like an employee, you'll always be an employee. Now I know that you're like, I thought you were encouraging us. That's, <laughs> that's not very inspiring, Pastor. These are the nuts and the bolts, the practical. I've one of the things that one of the scriptures I have always held to is that I do everything as unto the Lord. I've had good bosses and I've had bad bosses. I've had horrible bosses. Horrible bosses. It didn't matter who was telling me what to do. What mattered was who I was doing it for. Because I was a representative of Christ and I didn't want to be the lazy deadbeat Christian. I was going to be the guy who outworked everybody. Well, people see some of the things that the blessings that are in my life. Well, you don't see the hours and hours and hours that no one ever saw. I mean, I used to work for UPS. I was one of the first ones there and they had to send me home. thinking can I sweep the floor? And I was 18, 19 at the time. They'd be like, all right, well, we ain't got nothing else for you to do. You can go on home. I worked that job for nine months. I mean, uh, they were not my retirement plan. <laughs> but yet every day, I worked hard. Yeah. I showed up on time. Yeah. I've done a lot of things that no one ever saw. Right. Like just practically in my life, and I'm not saying this from a, a an arrogant, probably, there's a lot of hours of prayer that no one has ever seen. There's been a lot of time sitting with the Lord crying, going, God, what, what is going on? Yeah, yeah. But I never quit. Yeah. Those are the practicals. When everything in me said, don't do this. And I said, but the Lord is stirring in my heart to do this. And so I made steps of faith. I've given when I felt like I didn't have the money to give. Because I felt like the Lord was leading me to do it. See, there are things along those lines because what happens is that your faithfulness now is what opens up the doors later. See, what happens is many times we wait till we're up against the wall and we're saying, God, come through, God, come through, God, come through. Well, if I would have just been faithful, the door would open. I mean, many of the things in my life I didn't go looking for. They came and found me. Well, the Bible says the blessings of the Lord will come upon me and overtake me. See, some of you, you know, just put it into practice. You just may be a hand on a yard somewhere. You may just be doing your little thing, just trying to make it this week. Let me challenge the thought is that God does not think in days. God thinks in decades. Now, here's one of the differences. When you think about days, you've got 365 days a year. Well, we're all going to live somewhere between 70 and 100 whatever years. That's a whole lot of days. How many decades do you have? You don't have that many. Less than that. God looks in decades. And many times we're looking at the days, not really realizing that the days make decades. So what I mean by that is we've got to have a long-term vision. And look, and It's easy to have a day to day, paycheck to paycheck mentality. Let me just put it what would it look like for you to have $5,000 in the bank? Now, in transparency, I ain't got $5,000 in the bank, but I know what it would look like. I can tell you that. What would it look like to have a car that was paid for? What would it look like to have a house that was paid for? What would it look like to go on a vacation that was paid before you went? Now, let me, I got to wrap this up. This sounds going to be short today, but I watched a little too much T.D. Jakes this week, you know. And uh, he made a statement, though, and, uh, and I thought it was so interesting, and I'm going to share it with you because you probably won't go watch the video. It's like two hours long. And, uh, but uh, anyhow, he made the statement. He said, many times we're praying and asking God for tables, you know, like tables and chairs, those kinds of things. And he said, you know, God doesn't make tables and chairs. God made a tree. God doesn't make tables and chairs, and we're praying and asking God for tables and chairs. God has made a tree. It's up to us to go and take that tree. God gave us a mind, gave us an ability. He's given us aptitudes, skill sets to go and to whatever it may be. Now, I enjoy woodworking. I don't get to do it very much, but I do enjoy it. But there's a certain amount of satisfaction. I mean, I remember when I was a teenager, I made a baseball bat on a lathe. I was proud of that bat. Why? Because I had been a part of the process of the making of it. I took a four-by-four and had made it down into a baseball bat. See, many times we're praying, asking God for a finished product, And God's saying, I've already given you the resource you need, but your hands are going to have to touch it to produce what I want. So even in the area of the blessings of God in your life, God says, I've already called you blessed, but your hands have got to get involved. What are you going to do? God, how? What do you want me to do? What don't you want me to do? I mean, I've had the Lord tell me, stop doing certain things. You spend a lot of time doing this. I mean, like, and I've shared this. I, there was a time that I really wanted to learn to play the drums. Like, I mean, really. Like, I'm really jealous of drummers. I really am. My like, golly, that's so cool. And I'm just super. And so for a while, I, it was actually when we lived in Kansas. I mean, I went and got drum lessons, all this stuff. I mean, for like six months, I'm taking lessons. I'm like, this is awesome. I'm a drummer. Not really. But I felt like I was. And one day, I just had the Lord just kind of... Sp- Drop this in my heart. And he's like, David, how's this helping you get to what I've called you to do? I stink. As a matter of fact, this is robbing you of the time to do what I've created you to do. I mean, I'm spending hours trying to force myself to doing something that I just naturally am not geared towards. But you know, I'm I'm hard headed and pretty high drive. I can figure this out, dead Until the Lord kind of stirred me and said, Hey, you don't need to be doing this. I've called you to minister to people. And there's nothing wrong with playing drums. Look, if I if I could ask the Lord to give me one skill, like just let me wake up tomorrow with this ability, let me play the drum. Steal. Steal. I mean, that that has not changed. It just hasn't. But I also recognized that it had nothing to do, and it was actually a barrier to what God was calling me to. Now, I was already a preacher. I was already in the ministry, but yet there was still this distraction side of it that was keeping me from what God wanted for me. So sometimes it's not just about, God, what do you want me to do? Or how do you just, God, is there anything in my life that I need to take out? Are there things robbing me of the focus that I'm going to need? I mean, we don't want to talk about that in church because, oh, well, God just does it. You have to be mentally focused. Make that goal, that thing that God's calling you and stirring in you about, like really apply yourself to it. Faithfulness in the season now is what opens the door tomorrow. Get that out of Luke 16, verse 10. I'm going to give you one last thought and we're going to wrap up. that you've got to get God's vision for your life. What is God's vision for your marriage? What's God's vision for your home? What's God's vision for your family? Not just your vision. I mean, like, what does that look like? Here's a way to ask this. God, in what way would my life look if it completely, 100% honored you? If every part of my life honored you, what would it look like? Now, there's going to be some challenge to this i just tell you. He's going to challenge you. There's going to be some things that will depart from your life. This is a side note, but I'm going to give it to you real quick. Is this. Is that if you really want to live by faith and have everything that God wants for you, you're going to lose some relationships. Like, oh, well, God would never do that. Sure he would. Why? Because the people you hang around create the mentality in which you see things. So there's going to be times where you're going to have to separate for some folks. Not that they're bad, not that you're different. But they're not helping you succeed and move towards the place that God has for you. Now, I'm a loyal person. That's really hard for me to do that. And it hasn't happened much, but it has happened. Distance yourself from them. Yes, sir. It's, that's extremely difficult for me to do. I'm loyal to the nth degree, but at what point is it worth... Forfeiting what God has for me to maintain that relationship with people. Sometimes your friends are your greatest limitation. The people you associate with, people you hang out, you're not being elitist. You're not better than them, and you ought not to act that way. And if you do, that's wrong. That's pride. God ain't gonna bless that either. But there's nothing wrong with saying, "Man, I've got to find some new company. I, 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 I have to." Because God's stirring in me, if you'll do these things, these are practical things, but they all take faith. They do, God. You got you. (laughs) I'm gonna give up all of my friends, God. You got to send me some new friends. I prayed that prayer. I walked away from every one of my closest friends. One of the toughest decisions to this day I've still ever made. God, I need some friends. I need people that'll speak into my life. I need people to encourage me because I'm lonely. And you know what? God sent them. Not the next day, but they came. And today, I'm more thankful for the the people that I have in my life, the friendships that I have, the relationships that I have, because they're all helping me and propelling me and challenging me to move into what God has for me. The same thing is true for you. So don't let somebody else limit you, but don't limit yourself. Don't let the enemy try to contain you. Just say, God, I'm going to press beyond what I'm comfortable with And I'm going to see you work in my life. And in the end, God's blessings will speak for themselves. And you're going to say, man, God, you've really done something for me. And that's when you get to bring glory and honor to him. Amen.